economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show today. I'm Nate Johnson, the graduate assistant for the Gortney Institute. Today on our show, we have Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gortney Institute and Wayne Angel Chair of Economics. We also have Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics. And finally, Peter Jacobson, the Gortney Professor of Economic Education and Research. Okay, so welcome to the show. We're going to kind of bridge off of a former topic we had with expectations. We'll just see where the conversation takes us, but kind of faith and expectations gap. I felt like we left a little bit on the table uh, when we had that episode, um, probably about four episodes ago or so, uh, that we could have brought a little more faith element into that and how it relates to religion. And so we'll get a little economics and religion and uh, we can't help but sprinkle some philosophy somewhere in there with that with those topics. So Peter, why don't you lead us off? Sure. Thanks, Russ. Uh, so today, one of the focuses that I'm really interested in talking about is a note going off of um, Eklund's, Hebert and Tolson's, uh The Marketplace for Christianity. It's a, a nice little book that they have, and we can include that in the notes. Uh, but the the book has a, a really a rich depth of content, so we're really only focusing on a few pages here uh, that talks about the economics of religion. And so I wanted to focus on uh, the uh, existence of a religious good that is known as a metacredence good. And so we can go a little bit into <laughs> that. Mouthful. Yeah, it, it's quite the name. And so I, I think probably the best way to start with like getting towards a metacredence good is to talk first what a credence good is, right? And so a credence good is a really well-known idea in economics. There are certain goods for which the quality of the good and the satisfaction that you get from it can only be discovered if you participate. And so that's something like <laughs> a chiropractor or something like marriage counseling, right? you don't really have a, a good standard by which you can measure the quality. You know, when you, you're getting an orange, you know, that it's going to be an orange. You've had an orange before you eat it. And you know that, you know, maybe there's some quality variance, but it, for the most part, all oranges are the same products, but counseling, you could have good counselors and bad counselors and you don't actually immediately experience the success or failure of like a marriage counselor, for example, for 10, 10 years down the road, maybe a good marriage counselor <laughs> can save your marriage. Right. And so this is a credence good. It's an experience good. And so this uh, comes with some, some issues in itself, you know, how is it that you can learn uh, about a credence good? And so credence good have particular features that we can get to in a second. And now even beyond the credence good is this religious idea of the meta credence good. And so what Eklund's and co-authors point out is that uh, religion is even a, a more difficult example of this. If what religions are selling is salvation, the good is, you know, whether you go to heaven or hell or what, whatever afterlife or you're reincarnated or not. You actually don't experience this until it's too late to change your mind. Uh, especially, you know, if you think of, you know, Christianity saved by faith before you die, kind of a mainline Christianity thought, though there's, there's disagreements there. If it's too late after you die to change your mind, then you don't have any way to experience whether or not you're going to have made a successful decision or not. You kind of are going in blind during death uh, to see if you get the good. And so that this reminds me of, uh, was it Pascal's wager? that what's the chance of there being a God or not? Is that Pascal's wager? Yeah, yeah that's, so, that's Pascal's wager. So he's kind of like, uh, all right, so let's see, we got eternal life 
or God doesn't exist. And so if it's really up in the air, even if it's a very small probability that there is an afterlife, then with eternal life as the, the win, then the way to, the way to go, your money should be on afterlife. Yeah, and I think that's actually like a very particular solution to the Metacredence good problem is Pascal's solution though he sort of assumes that there's, you know, one, you know, religious good that you're choosing and you accept that one religious good. But if you get, if you take that, that there's one possibly correct religion, he says, be conservative because you, you won't know, you know, it's heaven or hell. <laughs> and so that's a, That's an example of how to solve this. And so the Metacredence good is an experience good, but not an experience good that you can ever learn from. And so this is why it gets into expectations. But uh, I think Justin also has something. Uh, on this a clarificatory question. Sure. Uh, so <laughs> as a, a simple philosopher who was uneducated in the lingo of economics. We have uh, credence goods and metacredence goods. And then is it non-credence goods? And are these categories jointly exhausted? That's a great question coming from a 49-year-old. Am I 49 now? Yeah, that's right. I just had a birthday. 49-year-old economist. I hadn't actually heard of credence goods the way you're describing them. Yeah. Just so you know, I don't even think it's necessarily uh or just it's something i hadn't come across so yeah it might have been the way you got uh, your gmu <laughs> education or something but i had not heard of a credence good, yeah so. i think i think it's like a, a particular <laughs> you know field in economics and so justin the way i've always thought of it though i don't know like the way that the literature situation i wouldn't assume that this is like a everything is one the other or the other, I, I, I look at this sort of as a spectrum. spectrum okay. And so there are some goods which you can do a lot of like research about to figure out what's the best maybe. And so, you know, like it, something that's simple to understand, like here's an engine repair where I open up your car and this belt is off. And you can see that the belt is off. And so if I put the belt back on, something is going to get better. And so that's less of a credence good than maybe a transmission fix where it's really hard for you to tell, you know, 10 years down the road, your transmission goes out. You don't know if I screwed up the transmission fix or if it just naturally went out. And so I think there's sort of a a spectrum here of, yeah, some goods are less credence goods than others. Then there's credence goods. And then a medical credence good, I actually say, would say is a very specific definition of a good for which you would need to experience to know if it's a good, good, like a a good that you actually want to pursue. But you can't actually experience it until we'll say it's too late. And so you, you simultaneously experience it and learn about it. Uh, but you have to select before that moment. Well, and I've been thinking of it being a double bundled, the way you're defining it, credence good, because you've got your experience that you're getting from the pastor, from the other members of the church, uh, how they do worship, whether it's contemporary service or traditional. So that is a credence, the the actual church experience is a credence good all by itself. And then this, the bundling of the, the big meta of, does it get, do they, do they get you closer well, to the afterlife or not, I guess, is a, is a bundling, a bundled product. Yeah. And that's actually, so the meta credence good provides a, a really big puzzle for economists because usually in economics, we say that uh, people's expectations are rational. Most economists would say this. And the strong version of this may be more controversial is that people are on average co- correct and literally on average. Uh, the less controversial is that people learn from their mistakes over time, yeah. and so they get closer to average over time. Which on is what the increase. field of behavioral economics has brought to the table of pushing back on that rationality. That's that's right. Yeah, that, that is possible to have large scale systematic biases that enter into our decision making, like with the uh, retirement 
do you want to contribute to your retirement or not? And Richard Thayer just got the, uh, one of the, was it Nobel? It was Nobel yep. Prize. Yep. Yeah. He got the, the Nobel. Uh, the nudge and how <clears throat> you can change large scale systematic biases by just how you frame the questions and, and get people to retire more just by saying, well, that's what everybody does. You have to opt out of retirement as opposed to opt in on the checkbox when you do your employment application. And, and it made significant differences in different studies that they did. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Justin. Peter, uh, I feel like we're getting all over the place. Will you explain what the <laughs> problem of what the Metacredence problem is for religion? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And so the, the idea is that you learn from mistakes over time. And so, for example, if you have a credence good, uh, that's like a relatively short time span. And so like maybe counseling and you're, you, a year later, you still feel bad and you switch counselors. Then you can kind of learn and find a counselor that's good for you. For religion, that, that's not an option, as we just mentioned. The Metacredence good. <laughs> you don't actually have the chance to learn about it because once you've made the decision and once you experience whether or not your decision was correct, you never get to make that decision again. You never get to correct your mistakes. That's yeah. right. And so, you know, if we were doing the pure <laughs> math way of looking at rational expectations, this is no different. You know, there's no difference between being rational and irrational about your expectations, at least as far as like the functional form is considered of choosing goods. Whereas with consumption goods, people generally get it correct over time a metacredence good, you would expect that there's no difference between being correct and wrong, that you don't converge to being correct as a society or as an individual. So, so is so there is another example of the metacredence good other than this afterlife concept where you don't get to correct? I'm I, thinking some sort of large scale. I suppose environmentalists would say maybe that's it, right? That we don't get to change our ways now. So part of the efforts of, of reducing uh, pollution today is that 200 years from now, we're going to be toast if we don't do it now. And so we never get to really correct. We choose now and like, we're going to learn 200 years later. Well, that was dumb. We didn't have to slow the economy down with all this excessive taxation and, and carbon emissions and uh, basically carbon taxes. Whoops, we didn't have to do that, but we don't get to correct that mistake. We just had slower growth after? Would that fall into that category? I, I think that uh, e even the, so the distinction between that and faith, I, I, I would think that faith and spiritual type discussions, maybe not heaven or hell, that there could be other metacredence goods about like afterlife or reincarnation maybe. Um, but I think that would be the only metacredence good. And the, the one margin of difference between that and something like environmental is that like we could do run scientific tests maybe to determine what would be the effect of changing our behavior today or changing it tomorrow. Whereas, you know, the Bible not only doesn't have a way, like, here's the scientific test to prove that, you know, uh, your faith is founded in, in reason, reason and logic. It actually explicitly mentions faith, which seems to imply that, you know, you can't just, like, do a math problem or uh, run an experiment that you know that, like, you know, Jesus is the savior of the world. Uh, that Then there wouldn't be faith anymore. And the Bible even says, you know, when you're in heaven, there's no more faith, right? Because you know. So I, I think Metacredence goods, I really think religion is the one example. We are specific to that. It is in principle impossible to do the kind of testing that... That's right, yeah. By, by definition, the, the good you couldn't test. But we never, even with science, though, I guess just to go back to my environmental comment, you, you never know with certainty that's right. that this is... You do a scientific experiment. This is one of the things that's misleading, I think, in the, in the media and otherwise, is that, oh, well, we believe in science. Well, any good scientist will never say that this is true with 100% certainty. So we never operate that. that. With 100% certainty. I am saying that with 100% certainty. <laughs> okay. As a person who's certified in the scientific method, 
that you always, you know, you're, you're, you've got a 95% confidence, right? So you have a 5% chance of error. Your tests that you ran past the, the T-test of, of uh, there's still a 5% chance that you're off or uh, you're 99% confident. So you've got a 1%, you've got a 99% confidence interval that, that yep. falls within this range. So um, lately, especially with the stuff that's been going on the last few years, um, uh, media is purporting science to be somehow 100%, but there is error involved with it. And so my point still stands, I think, that you make choices today that might have implications 150 years from now. We can't go back and undo that, that there was error. Yeah, so, that, that, that's, that's right. It's the, the more it is, the more impossible to learn and assess errors, the closer you get to this idea of metacredence good. And okay. so the, the ideal is, right. by definition, it's impossible to learn, and you could never correct mistakes. But, you know, even something like what you're saying, an apocalyptic scenario based on decisions a thousand years ago, yeah. I think that approach is pretty close to the ideal. It. Yeah, That's okay, right. cool. Well, that looks like a good spot to uh, take our first break here. And then coming back, Peter, give us a teaser. What are, what are we going to get into on the, on the second half? So I think something Russ mentioned in the first half is really interesting that people tend to bundle religious goods. You know, you don't just buy your salvation, you buy the worship service too. And so I think going down that track is going to be an interesting place to start off on. All right. Sounds good. We'll be back in just a bit. If you enjoy our podcast and want to support our work, please consider a one-time or reoccurring donation. Please visit donate.123povertysucks.org. The Gordon Institute at Ottawa University is the best place in the Midwest for students interested in freedom, justice, and its impact on human flourishing. We've got student programs like this upcoming week, uh, a review of a movie, The Little Pink House, where governments come in and uh, taking over uh, houses to try to facilitate Pfizer coming into New Jersey. And uh, we'll talk about the role of government and how uh, it relates to individual freedoms uh, with that show. So items like that, we've got lots of programming here going on. If faith and economics in action. If you or someone else you know is looking for a college like that, contact Peter or Russ or Justin today. Don't forget to check out our show notes for this episode at podcast.123povertysucks.org. All right, so we're back. Um, <clears throat> The bundling concept was a good thing to springboard on, I think. Uh, Nate, what was it like for you? Uh, what did you see at your, your church that you had that kind of followed this, this bundling concept? What the bundling got? concept for me is is really kind of important for my family as well. For going from Colorado to Idaho when I was young, and we had a church growing up my entire life, and then we changed and moved to Idaho. And when we were looking for a church, I think we were looking for a bunch of different goods. Like we were looking for a good pastor, a good congregation, a good um, Sunday school for my little sister. And I think putting all those goods together is something important for a lot of people as they're trying to find the right fix of all of them. Because a, a good congregation is really important. You want to go there and feel welcomed. Yeah. Because right as you walk into church and, and worship, if you don't feel welcomed, it's not going to be a place you want to go and worship with the people. Yeah, I've certainly heard of multiple people switching uh, denominations because yeah, they because went to the, the church that was their normal denomination and yeah. they weren't comfortable there. And so no, yeah. and, also and that's, what, that's what happened church. to my family. Yeah, and okay. we went to a Lutheran church in Idaho and the congregation <laughs> wasn't what we expected and wasn't what like we grew up in Colorado. So we moved to a Presbyterian church and we liked it more there and we liked the pastor better. So I think that just depends. The goods can change. Yeah, I, I think that this is really what it comes down to with Metacredence goods 
is how do you select them? This is like the big puzzle. How do you choose between all these different metacredence goods? And so the, I think the first way that it happens is like a, a religious answer is that, you know, if where this is where faith comes in, if, you know, you're, you're given the grace to have faith in, you know, the correct answer by God, uh, then that's one way that you sort of select between these different options. Another way, and so now we can imagine there's true options and false options. And, you know, let's say that you could be saved in the Presbyterian church, church or the Lutheran church. And so another way where this happens uh, where this decision is made is through bundling. That, that is, other goods are sold with the Metacredence good. And so if the two Metacredence goods are exactly the same, you know, you're, they're both offering salvation, you know, yeah. you have faith and you're correct, then the margin that's different is the different bundle that you have. That could be the church organization, the people there, um, the testimonies given to say, you know, we've got the best Metacredence good, uh, whatever that may be. Just to be clear, the two uh, Metacredence goods appear the same. That's right. Okay. Yeah, um, I, I mean, Luther's right-hand kingdom, left-hand kingdom comes to mind. So in the right-hand, his two-kingdom theology, the right-hand kingdom is your relationship with Christ. Uh, the left-hand kingdom is your experiences with other people, including the church. So a lot of people have the perception that the church is in the right-hand uh, in Luther's theology, but it's not. So it's everything you do with, with government and your workplace and your family and uh, church, et cetera, is all in the left-hand kingdom. And so I think from Luther's perspective, the meta-credence good is the right-hand kingdom stuff. And so Luther would say, yes, you can be saved as a Presbyterian. You can even be saved as a Catholic, for crying out loud. Uh, no, <laughs> you, you know, if you have that faith in Christ, that is probably the medic part of this discussion. And then the other stuff all the bundling of other things going on is kind of left hand from a Lutheran perspective. So it also just seems perfectly clear that that is the, the bundling is what causes most people to choose the denominations that they choose. You know, you, yeah. you know, I don't want to have to sacrifice a goat every Sunday. <laughs> I'll, I'll go somewhere that has the, uh, the kind of practice that I want to socially uh, integrate with. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because people then are going to make this decision uh, whether or not, you know, um, so it depends on your theology, but some Christians believe that, you know, you're actually saved by God at a specific moment in time, right? And you're saved by his power. But this this principle that people choose the church based on the Metacredence good operates whether or not that happens. And so even someone who uh, is not saved but sort of wants the Metacredence good and they can't tell which one's right, and they're choosing between, you know, two competing religions. Well, if they still can't pick which one's the right Metacredence good, then they have to choose on the non-Metacredence good margin, which is, you know, do I want to sacrifice the goat every Sunday? Or would I rather, you know, hand a basket of food or, you know, put drop money in the basket, you know? And probably I could see some people who aren't as strong in their faith or don't question things as much that they could be misled by shopping too much for the credence part and not the meta credence part, right? So I'm going, I'm shopping churches because I want to feel good about myself and that I feel like the Holy Spirit's in the congregation and that feeling is what I'm shopping. But that feeling is not Christ, in my opinion. That feeling is a human part of it. And so you really have to... Um, hopefully not be misled because when those feelings go away, some people drop away from the church, right? If they, if they start going to the church and all of a sudden they're not feeling that fulfilled, Oh, the Holy spirit is with me. That might lead them away from the church where 
as that's not the point of it. Yeah. Um, so if the mate, if the meta part is your leader, right, that, that, that's, that's your rock and you have a real strong uh, faith in Christ, then the credence is like the extra goodies, right? Yeah. But let's not let the goodies be the leader rather than the follower. Yeah, that's right. I, I think that the, the way that we as Christians can look at this is, you know, we're also pursuing the meta credence good. And we believe that because of God's grace, we have the meta credence good. But if someone's over-focusing on the Metacredence good and that's actually the good that they're pursuing, they don't really actually care about the Metacredence good or they're pursuing the wrong Metacredence good. I think you said you said meta when you meant Credence, I think, on that statement. But they're pre- go ahead. I think you – I just – I was a little bit confused on that one. So, so just okay. say that again. So, so <laughs> we, we can even take out the Metacredence part. And so Christians who, you know, or people who are pursue, pursuing something other than salvation – uh, so C- Christians, we believe we're saved because of God's grace. But if you're pursuing something other than salvation with your church, and that's the primary reason you're pursuing it, you probably yeah. don't have the metacredence good, the okay. salvation right, right, in the right. first place, yes. which is what you were just saying yes. is that, you know, they're, they're going to float away from the church when it becomes too costly to go there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, with these bundled experiences, um, what were you saying about college, Justin, that you uh, were saying that this, and- um, you can find a, an interesting parallel here with what uh, colleges purport to be selling and uh, what goods are bundled with what they're selling. So um, most people think that what colleges are selling is an education, which is usually uh, um, you know, certified by the diploma that you get at, at the end of it. So um, you know, it's really selling the certificate of education. Um, but a lot of the reason people choose the college that they do choose and a lot of the reason that kids actually enjoy going to college is the, you know, the uh, trademark college experience, especially in the United States, where it involves, you know, four years of being away from your parents, um, where, uh, you know, you get to kind of reinvent yourself a little bit and figure out, you know, just, you know, kind of uh, personal discovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, what's interesting is that with the rise of COVID, we have seen that a lot of colleges have said, okay, we're still going to provide that thing that we are selling, which is an education and a certificate that you have been educated, but we are no longer going to offer the college experience. We are going to make you do this from your parents' basement via Zoom <laughs> or, uh, you know, uh, Periscope or whatever. Um, and one of the things that we are seeing is that, you know, this may be terminal to a lot of uh, the, a lot of these institutions. Mm-hmm. And what that really means is that what they said that they were selling and maybe even what they think they're selling isn't actually what people are buying. Yeah. And uh, when you have this kind of disconnect between what something is, uh, you know, according to Hoyle, so, uh, what the function of it is, and that's different than the actual function that that institution is playing. Um, be yeah. prepared for disasters. Yeah, and I think at Ottawa University, <clears throat> our leadership and uh, culture here uh, was very attuned to it being a bundling. Um, so here at Ottawa, we have about 80%, possibly even a little higher, of student athletes. So I like to tell people that our business model has been always come to Ottawa continue on with your high school sport that you were, you're not a D1 athlete, you know you're not, uh, your family knows you're not, we know you're not, but we have an awesome 
uh, experience at the NAIA of, of being competitive and some of our NAIA athletes do make it to the professional level. So they're going to be able to continue that experience. But the conversations that I have with our students is they know that, right? And, but they really like that being able to continue their sport and that they've, that they've loved their whole life and uh, continue to do that through their college years. And that's just part of the deal. So I feel like institutionally here at Ottawa, we recognize that right away, that that's, that's part of what we've always offered is a combination. And we're a liberal arts school, so it's a, it's a, a more well-rounded thing. It's not just about your business education or your economics education, but rather uh, kind of building up the person um, as they take their journey here, so. Yeah, I think Ottawa has been very clear that, uh, and the administration is, you know, even internally clear that what we are offering is a, is a bundled yeah. good. And yeah. I've actually heard, you know, some people complain about that before, right? Mm -hmm. um, that, right. Uh, and, you know, you can find people complaining about this um, at any college sure. in the United States that, yeah. uh, you know, it's not focused on what's a, you know, right. whatever. But um, what we find is that, look, uh, if we, if what we, if what people are actually paying for is this bundle. And if that's what they want, then it, it, you're institutionally better off knowing that. And and my point with that is that we right on the front end said, we're, we're coming face to face, like very early on, this is like, okay, we, we, uh, our chancellor Eichner sent out a letter to the university and said, the status quo at this point, short of something, you know, dramatic changing with COVID is we're going to be face to face in August. And we were very early on in that. And I think that's part of our culture recognizing that bundled good that we're providing and how important that is to our institution as other colleges seemed like even a week before school weren't sure whether they were opening or not and some didn't uh, UNC Charlotte or whatever I think uh, was one of them so um, yeah I, I think it uh, is important for places to know that this bundling exists as well as it is for businesses right and businesses figure that out real quickly too that they're not just selling hamburgers they're selling their environment that they're coming into, how clean the space is, how well-kept their employees look. Um, you know, that whole thing is uh, a bundle. So we do, we do, this bundling is all around us. We just, um, especially in principles of economics class, we're talking about hamburgers and hamburgers is on the horizontal axis. And, um, you know, we kind of take a different approach to breaking down those elements. Yeah, one thing that I would love, you know, listeners to, to kind of note is that we're, we're not saying that this bundling, even in religion, is a, a bad thing. It's, it's actually like a necessary thing. Yeah. Uh, that's what the Metacredence Good Analysis gives us. Mm -hmm. uh, the bad thing becomes, I think what Justin was saying, and I think this is absolutely correct, if a church is purporting to sell the, the Metacredence Good of Salvation, but what they're actually selling when what the people are there for is for like a guy who provides like a really fun experience at church, like a really cool superstar pastor. Right. Who's just so charismatic, and inspirational, inspirational, self-help, you know, makes you feel good about yourself. You know, you feel all the feelings of going to church, you know, if that's what the people are actually buying, then I think you've got disaster spelled in your, in your stars because, you know, once that person leaves the church or they get sick or maybe they just become uncharismatic because, you know, they, they, you know, go through some experience then your church falls apart because the good that people were really focused on buying was not the Metacredence good. If you have more attachment to the Metacredence good, uh, and that's more of the focus, just like at the university, if, if you have a clear idea of what's actually being pursued, you're going to stick to that. Whereas if you're lying about what's actually being pursued, uh, you're going to have problems and you're not going to know how to operate yourselves. So these people who are focused on the bundled good and not the Metacredence good, are you, are you 
thinking about like Lutherans in particular? <laughs> <laughs> I am not thinking about anyone in particular, Justin. <laughs> no one in particular. Well, I thought um, Adam Smith did a good job in that uh, uh, piece that you gave with the chapter that we started off with on recognizing people's different preferences and we're always coming from different places. And so we're not just selling education or a degree. We're not just selling uh, Christ on the cross purely. Um, we're, we're recognizing that people are going to sort themselves out. So he was very much on uh, separation of church and state, allowing competition. Uh, I thought the way he teed that up is, is very much in line with what we're doing here with the, this bundling concept that uh, you've got lots of credence goods that you can bundle in different ways. And the best way to set up a church in a country is to have it uh, decentralized and allow new entrants into markets, so to speak. Uh, if it's uh, more of non-denominational churches, for instance, if there's not laws on the books that say, nope, you can only be like over in China, isn't it? <clears throat> well, can Catholicism, is it that, I don't know if you guys know, this is the only sanctioned government one, or maybe there's one other one? I, I think there are several denominations, uh, with a, a little bit of air quoting there, because uh, they're sanctioned in the sense that, like, it's actually not the Vatican's bishops and cardinals, as far as I'm aware, who actually run the church, but those selected by the Chinese government. I, I think the same is true for the, the smaller, the other Christian denominations, yeah. is that you can operate so long <laughs> as you're proof to operate. Yeah. And so what we see emerging in China from that is, is illegal gatherings of people like, uh, I think I heard this in Lutheran circles or, or something, but different denominations, it doesn't have to be Lutheran, you know, they meet in their house, they can't actually go rent a commercial space and be a church, but they're illegally doing it behind the scenes. So that order tends to emerge in religiosity from differentiated uh, preferences of, of credence goods. Um, because at that point, if it's the meta part would be covered in Christianity in theory, right? And so I can go to the, whatever the state sanctioned churches and practice it, but I want that credence part. I want to have different ways of worshiping or whatever. So, yeah. And I, I think, you know, under the alternative, which you put forth of, of competition rather than authority, I think the, the same rules operate for religious competition, you know, religions that want to be successful as it does companies that want to be successful. And one of those major rules that I think are important, you know, in the competitive environment is that you're honest about what you're selling. And so this is, again, getting back to what Justin was just talking about, is that if a company says that, like, our oranges are going to cure you from all ailments and then you buy the orange, you're never going to buy from them again if it doesn't cure, cure you from all ailments because they, they lie to you, they charge you a higher price. And so you're not going to buy that orange anymore. I think the same is true of religion. If, if uh, religion says they're selling one thing and they actually sell you another, people are going to leave. And so I, I think competition specifically kind of promotes this, uh, this idea and, you know, leads to this evolution sort of over time. Well, and I, I think we're running out of time, but on another podcast, um, since we're talking about state sanctioned things, um, I brought up environmentalism or scientism or whatever we want to call it, but that has really been a religion of sorts. Um, I, I've heard other people commentate that uh, having, um, let's call it worshiping the environment or saving the environment, is very much uh, parallel with a religion and what you practice and what you say and, and what you do. Uh, but the difference is that a lot of that is state sanctioned. And so I, I think maybe on a different podcast that might be interesting to explore uh, relationships of state and other um, public goods that get promoted 
but now you've got the authority of the state uh, to um, make things go certain ways. Uh, and so that can be dangerous, as Adam Smith pointed out, with the way things used to be, where the government uh, had the state uh, religion, and, and that's the way things were done. So any last comments? All right, I think that's a wrap. We solved most of the problems of the world here with uh, setting up church and state, but I think we got a few more nuts to crack. Um, so very interesting bringing in this uh, meta-credence good. And so thank you on behalf of the Gordon Institute here at Ottawa University for listening today, and uh, appreciate you spreading the word and uh, giving us a five-star rating if you like what you heard, um, and that helps us get our reach out to more and more people. So other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks.